Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I think the key is to recognize that friendships are powerful. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 144. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, hey, veggie lovers. I hope that you are enjoying the relationship series for this month of February, 2021, and that you're getting a lot out of it. I know I am. Today's episode is going to be about friendship. So the reason I chose friendships as one of the relationship structures that I wanted to cover this month is because friendships are so important. They're part of our lives. And Dr. Ali said this too, they're part of our lives from like the beginning to the end. So I think learning more about friendships, how to have healthy friendships uh, is is really an important part of our well-being and our joy here in this life. So I am so glad that Dr. Ali agreed to come back on the show to talk about friendships. I'm going to tell you more about Dr. Shayna Ali in just a bit. But for those of you that are delving into a plant-based lifestyle or just wanting to learn more about healthy eating or how to even just eat more whole plant foods, I have a ton of resources. If you go to my website, dryami.com, that's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E. You can find lots of great freebies that will help you on your journey. And if you're a parent, you have little ones, want to learn more about feeding them. I have lots of great resources for kids, five simple habits to raising your your kiddos, nutrients of concern guide, but also how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, eating out guide. And for those of you that are into sustainability, there's zero waste swaps and plant-based shopping lists, all kinds of good stuff that you can download, dryami.com forward slash free. 
I want to thank all of you that have read my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. And I wanted to give a shout out to Jocelyn, who left me a five-star review on Amazon entitled Love Dr. Yami's Work. Jocelyn says, I want to start off by saying that I love Dr. Yami and all her work. That's why I'm not surprised at how well this book was written. Great info and straight to the point. I finished it in two days. Wow, Jocelyn, you are like me. When I love a book, I cannot put it down. I'm trying to do my best to help my boys grow up with healthy eating habits. If that's what you're looking for too, do not hesitate to get this book. Jocelyn, thank you so much for that review, for giving me a little insight into your life. And I'm just so grateful that it's helping you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So now more about Dr. Shana Ali. I love Dr. Ali. She was on the podcast one year ago and last year she talked about self-love, which is so, so important. She has two great books. So if you haven't checked out that episode and you want to learn more about self-love and why that's very important, listen to the episode from February of 2020. But Dr. Shana is a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate who is passionate about destigmatizing mental health counseling and helping individuals worldwide recognize the importance of fostering mental wellness. Dr. Shana is the owner and operator of Integrated Counseling Solutions, LLC, a strengths-based clinical mental health and consulting practice located in downtown Orlando. She is the author of the self-love workbook, the self-love workbook for teens and the soon to be released children's book, Luna finds love everywhere. Oh, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to read that one. She enjoys teaching future counselors as she presently serves as affiliate faculty at Northwestern University. Beyond the classroom, she is committed to mental health advocacy in a variety of ways, such as by providing free educational information on her psychology today hosted blog, A Modern Mentality, by serving on the Mental Health Association of Central Florida's Board of Directors and offering mental health commentary for media outlets such as ABC, CBS, NPR, Washington Post, and Insider. Dr. Shana has been honored with the Association for Specialists in Group Works Al Dye Award, the Pete Fisher Humanitarian Award, and the 30 Under 30 Award by her alma mater, the University of Central Florida, for her efforts in promoting mental wellness. You're going to love Dr. Ali. She's so great, so balanced, and just helps you feel so good. So what did we talk about? We talked about why friendships are important for our health and well-being. What are the components of a healthy friendship? Why it seems like we're having more difficulty making and sustaining friends. What circumstances make it harder to sustain our friendships if we're too busy for friends and how social media and technology has impacted our friendships. We also talk about mode of communication and generational differences because yes, not all of us we're born texting. So that's really interesting. And what are the typical problems that friends face? In addition, we talk about the modern reality of so much change, so many different events and issues that have presented themselves in this past year, such as Black Lives Matter and the 
political, you know, the election, all the politics and, you know, heavy loaded topics like the pandemic and whether or not you wear masks and go out in public. So how have these issues affected how we view our friends, how we think about our friendships? So this is a really great conversation. I got a lot, a lot out of it because there were so many things that I was curious about when it came to friendships, but Like I said, friendships are important. So it's worth learning more about friendships, more about why friendships are important to you, what you value in a friendship so that we can foster these long lasting and fulfilling friendships in our lifetimes. So veggie lovers, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening to this episode. I know you are going to love it. Without further ado, let's listen to this conversation between me and Dr. Shana Alley. Dr. Shana Alley, I can't believe you are back again almost a year after your first appearance on Veggie Doctor Radio again during the month of love, February. This month, we are focusing on relationships. So I am so glad to have you back on the podcast to talk about friendships. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. I didn't even realize there was like that one year of time. So how how precious. Happy anniversary to us. Happy anniversary. We should just make it a (laughs) yearly thing. Every year, I'll just think of something we can talk about. (laughs) So yeah, I wanted to talk about relationships because relationships are so important to our well-being. And then I personally, being growing up as an only child, have struggled with relationships because I feel like I didn't have as much practice as I was growing up, being around adults all the time, that kind of thing. So I personally also selfishly want to learn more about friendships from you, an expert. So let's start off with why are friendships important for our health and well-being? You know, I like your little selfish initiative that you call it, because I think a lot of people relate to you, single child or not. And I love that we're talking about friendships in particular, because I think they're often minimized compared to other relationships, right? So parent-child relationships, sibling relationships, romantic relationships. So I love that we're diving into that. You know, so even to step it back and think about why relationships are important at their core level humans are social creatures, right? So we don't tend to thrive in isolation. And I think the loneliness epidemic that we've been facing in recent years is unfortunately a prime example of that. You know, so from the moment we're born, we we are reliant on a parent, a caregiver. As we grow, it's our family system, maybe teachers, coaches, and that continues. And then we kind of skip over to valuing partnerships, so romantic connections, perhaps a marriage. But something that's consistent throughout that, whether you are, you know, two years old and making your first friend, or whether you're 92 and, you know, connecting to a long-time friendship, it's friendships, right? Throughout the process, they're so pivotal in our lives. Um, So realizing that, that it's a consistent aspect of our life, it's not just phase-oriented in that way you know, and they can affect us both in good ways and in bad ways. Mm -hmm. So positive, healthy connections kind of evoke, especially from my perspective as a mental health professional, is 
positive emotions, right? So love and joy and happiness, but they're, they do come with dangers as well. So negative, harmful, toxic relationships can evoke negative emotions such as shame or embarrassment or guilt as well. So friendships are certainly influential. And I love that we're getting to talk about how important they are for our mental health, but our overall well-being too. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you started touching on this already, but what are the components of a healthy friendship? Yeah, I love this question because we all vary at an individual level, right? So if you even think about you and I, there might be some similarities between who we are. There's lots of differences too, right? So if you think of a friendship and we think about the most simple friendship being between two people, you already have two varying entities there that components of a good friendship for one person, could they be similar to the other? Yes. and. It could be helpful for the friendship if there's those similarities, but there can be differences as well. So I think it's important for us to recognize that we are one person in our different friendships. So there could be similar components, but also honoring our individuality and others' individuality. It's important to recognize that those components may shift. Okay. So with that being said, though, when it comes to healthy, helpful friendships, there are some core things that tend to be consistent from person to person. First, that's genuine care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, truly being interested and invested in the other person, right? So for children, that may be, oh, we both like the same toy. Let's play with that game, right? And for adults, it might be, checking in around like a milestone or an interview or something like that, right? It can go deeper into respect, of course. So that is more about the intensity of the friendship. But even just starting with genuine care, connection is key. And sometimes that is an obvious connection that runs deep in terms of impactful, reflective communication. But sometimes it's more of a surface level thing, like two teenagers who are enrolled in the same class and connect because, you know, of their similar perspective or ability in that given class. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there's even like the utility purpose aspect of like this friendship is important to me for whatever reason that may be. Again, there is kind of a variance here in intensity because, you know, the friendships that don't quote unquote run deep. Sometimes we tend to minimize those, but those serve their purpose too. You know, this is my accountability buddy at the gym, perhaps. That is a friendship. Maybe you're not, you know, outpouring your deepest, darkest thoughts with this person and entrusting them with some vulnerable information about you. That's still a really purposeful relationship too. So those are some key things that tend to be consistent from person to person. But I think for everybody listening to this, it's important to think about what are the key components in a friendship for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because they usually mirror your values as a person. Yeah, no, I love that you bring that out because to me, it seems like you're opening the door for possibility and for individual differences. So there's not just like a manual somewhere where it has to check each single one of these boxes in order for it to be considered a friendship or an ideal friendship. But in general, what you're saying is, You have to care about the other person in some way, whether it's from a more superficial way to a really deep way, have some, something that's connecting the two of you 
and it has to be important, has to serve some sort of purpose. I think that those are really important components for a friendship. So thank you for outlining that for us. So as you brought up earlier, the stats, especially in our country, I'm sure this is happening in a lot of westernized countries and being in the middle of a pandemic, it seems like we're having more trouble making friends. So studies are showing that 25% of Americans don't even have one friend that they feel that they can talk to, that they can connect with. And 30% of millennials express feeling lonely. So talk more about this. Is it because we're having trouble making friends or keeping friends or connecting? Why do you think that we're having these issues? Great question. And I think those prompts at the end, is it that we're having trouble making them, keeping them, connecting? I think there's a combination of all of the above. Um, there's a lot going on in this um, that, you know, for one person, it could be several factors and it might be one clear factor, but let's go over some of the key ones. So first of all, you mentioned Western society, and I think you're on to something there. Usually a consistent aspect with more Western societies, such as ours here in the States, is there's a lot of individualism. Mm -hmm. So we tend to focus on the identity of the individual and their future career or what choices they make or, you know, their education, their hobbies, what those things are. It's the one individual. So in some ways, we're kind of already set up to disconnect. Um, now, individualistic cultures doesn't mean that we all exist, you know, living by ourselves solely, not communicating with other people, but it's just that there's more of an emphasis of the individual over the collectivistic connection. And I think that already kind of puts us off in that way when you compare it to more other, other countries, specifically Eastern cultures, maybe more collectivistic in nature, that it more is about how do your choices affect somebody else, for mm -hmm. example, you know, so that may be your family system, but even your friends, your team, what have you. So that's something to begin with. And within that, we tend to lack a sense of community and our technologically advanced time is quite ironic because we can connect technically in ways that are more varied and accessible than ever before. But in many ways, it comes with caveats that make us feeling more disconnected than ever before as well. So I think about even social media platforms, the theory, I mean, social media, right, is the idea that it fosters a social connection. You know, nowadays I can talk to any of my friends across the globe with ease through one message, whereas that was not necessarily an option 20 years ago. Maybe there was a phone call, maybe there was, you know, good old snail mail, but it was harder and now it's more accessible, but then there's still this disconnection there. And there's a lot of factors in that I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit more. Um, but also some things that are, you know, beyond technology, there's like this awkwardness in adulthood in terms of meeting people. <laughs> so when you think about childhood, first of all, you have usually caregivers and families that are helping to foster relationships, you know, uh, two parents organizing a play date for a child, for example, or even if that's not the case, you have the school system. So you're going somewhere every day and you're probably seeing a lot of these folks, not just for days, but potentially years as you excel in your academic path. And it's 
they're there. There's an established community that makes it easier for you to make connections. And there's certain factors within your school system that may make it easier for you to make connections. Like if you join the same club, if you're on the same team, if you're enrolled in the same class, right? Um, that's a little bit harder in adulthood. There's so many factors on that. So, you know, if you think about even the work environment, people are shifting around with jobs more so than in the past. Then this is the job that I get right out of school and I'm going to work this one career at this one facility my entire life. So it's harder to establish long-standing connections. A lot of jobs are more remote, especially now in the pandemic. So you can technically commute. Um, communicate the way we are doing that now, but it's different than just, you know, walking in and, you know, passing someone in a cubicle in that way every single day and saying hello. So there are lots of aspects there and, you know, it's tending to affect us earlier and earlier. So I mentioned social media, but technological immersion is happening earlier in life as well. Mm -hmm. That, you know, there are some interesting studies that are coming out that are exploring that, you know, the more a child uses an iPad, a computer, a telephone, whatever gadget, that they are more adept at those types of skills and less at clear communication skills that are crucial for our friendship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So fascinating. I just, all, all of these concepts are, are just so fascinating because you can almost see them the same thing in different ways. Like first you started talking about our focus on the self in Western culture, which is true, like all this personal development and all this self-improvement and me, me, me not in a selfish way, but that's just part of our culture, right? Like we're almost raised that way. Like how can we improve? How can we, you yourself? And so you have this focus on yourself versus, you know, this lack of community along with a lack of community. But then when you brought up kids, I immediately thought of children. I'm a pediatrician, so I see them a lot. And of course, having my own kids, they have a lack of self-consciousness when they're young. And so it allows them, like, I've been in places, you know, we traveled around the world. My kids, they will start playing with other children. They don't even speak the same language. And like five minutes later, they've made up a game in the woods. And, you know, like adults, <laughs> we wouldn't do that. We're like, well, I don't understand you. And I'm not going to be playing some random game in the woods. And so we have this self-consciousness, like, I don't want to look bad or sound bad. But children, especially young children, they lack that. They're just seeking their joy and they're playing together and you know this beautiful difference but also with the social media when i think of isolation like feeling isolated social media is one of the things that brings it up for me because i have this perception of they like millions of people out there <laughs> you know but it's weird because you think of this huge group of people out there and it, it feels like it's a collective but then you feel all alone, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, so absolutely. interesting, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, I love that you brought up that notion of like this self-consciousness that children don't have, you know, they're so pure until they start to learn about these other aspects that we gain in adulthood, like, you know, self-criticism, self-blame, self-judgment, all those things usually happen as we get older. And there's this beauty, like we can learn from children in that way. And like, why is it so simple? And again, yeah, some of it are the parameters, the context that I shared, like they're all going to the same school. So eventually, you know, they're going to yeah. pair up in that way. 
Sometimes it's context, but sometimes it's just the aspect of what it means to be a child Mm -hmm. and not have those like mental blocks developed yet. And I think another one that I would add on top of that, like lack of self-consciousness is also children have an amazing sense of imagination, creativity, Mm -hmm. and play that adults tend to lose. And I talk about this a lot when it comes to self-care, self-love, and mental health, that creativity, innovation, having fun, just playing, like without having a task or an objective or a cause, it's so crucial to our minds, not just as children, but as adults. And when we think about these concepts together, right, like socialization and creativity, there's so much room for that, that it doesn't have to be like a singular concept. You know, I'm going to go create art in my studio by myself now, and I'm going to lock the door and it's going to be about me. Some people like that, that's fine. But what if there's like a collaborative, you know, art exploration you can do with somebody else, things in that way. It doesn't mean that things that we like have to be just by ourselves or things that we enjoy as hobbies have to be just by ourselves. We can explore them together. Yes. No, and I love that you brought up that one of the key components of true play is not having an agenda besides having fun, you know? And I think as adults, especially in our culture where we're all like self-improvement, like everything has to have an agenda. How is this going to help me improve something, you know, where you know, it's totally fine to just have fun and just go hiking or, or snowshoeing with a friend, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I mentioned earlier about the degrees of intensity of a friendship is that sometimes when people are exploring friendship and how important it is, a lot of people are hungry for those deep connections. And first of all, that's hard to come by fast, you know, to begin with. So it can feel really self-defeating when you're like, I'm trying to develop these deep friendships and they're not happening. It's like, well, you gave it a month. Like, how is that going to happen in that way? But also I think we overlook some of these seemingly small connections that are agendaless, right? And just open and carefree and in many ways vulnerable. And those are really helpful for our mental well-being too. So just because we may not be talking about the depths of our soul on, you know, our first meeting with a friend doesn't mean that it's not a really worthwhile friendship. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm so happy you said that. I need that reminder because I'm an intense person. I'm just, I hear you. Me too. Everybody knows me that I'm pretty intense. So I think I have really high expectations sometimes. Sure. Like if you can't go deep with me, then we're it's all or nothing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. And I love that because that says a lot about what is important for you in a key component in a friendship, right? Is that eventually there's the goal that you can go deep but also recognizing that who goes deep that fast. And truthfully, there's some danger in being really vulnerable or being really open early on too, right? Because that trust, that companionship is not already established. So it can be a goal, sure. And it's great if your friends hold that goal with you. It's just that there's probably some beautiful bonds that we might be overlooking if we're only looking for the deep relationships. Yes, oh, I love that. Well, let's talk about other life circumstances that might get in the way of some fulfilling friendships. I've gone through a lot of different stages so far in my life and definitely like pursuing careers, you know, residency for doctors. I'm sure training for you, it's really intense, hard to bond with friendships, but then you have kids. You're going to be there soon. You're going to know what that's (laughs) like. And you know, it's, 
justifiably a very consuming process. So can you tell us a little bit more about these life stages and how it makes it difficult to sustain friends? Absolutely. And of course, there are these key milestones that might vary from person to person. But I think what you're doing already is a really important part that we all could benefit from is just realizing that we will go through changes in our lives. And sometimes it's event oriented, right? Like you mentioned residency, someone getting married, moving out of state for a new job. And sometimes it's just more of an internal change. You know, Mm -hmm. someone might change how they view life, right? Or, you know, who, what their political affiliation is, or maybe they change their faith system, right? And all of these types of changes have the potential to then change us, of course, number one, and then we are a part of our friendships. So those friendships might change as well, right? And anywhere else, right? We're talking about friendships today, but partnerships would change, you know, familial relationships would change. So that's important to acknowledge because while it might seem simple, I've worked with lots of clients who have been struggling through either difficult friendships or friendship breakups who are really perplexed by, okay, yeah, sure, I got married, but I mean, this is my best friend. Or yeah, I had a child, but they have kids too. So what, what, I don't get it. Or yeah, I'm going to residency, but they also have a difficult job. So how can it not, you know, and sometimes we don't honor how those changes may be, may seem like small shifts, but they can be big waves in a friendship. So mm-hmm. even just acknowledging what I'm really big on is proactivity, right? So if I know I'm coming up on a big change, like you mentioned, I'm expecting right now. So I know I'm coming up on a big change. I'm about to be a, a mom more than to a fur baby, who's very important too. But (laughs) that change, I can think, okay, well, I would like to think that all of my solid foundational friendships will remain the same. Sure. But it's also likely that the changes in my life, what I value, what I prioritize, what my day-to-day looks like, is probably going to cause a ripple effect in these friendships too. So how can I prepare for that? You know, Mm -hmm. is there a proactive conversation that I can have? I'll tell you myself, I've been trying to practice not responding to people immediately, Mm -hmm. which is a very big task for a type A person to let go of. But I've been practicing that because I know that that's something that's going to have to change. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. 
You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all, and don't forget to share with friends and family dryami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. Right. Yeah. So kind of setting the foundation for, okay, our, our relationship is already changing. Can you feel it? Like this is, this is what it's going to be like, you know, and that way, if there's anything that comes up from it, it can come up now proactively. We can tackle it sooner. Um, and of course it's key to notice that some milestones may not change friendships, which is lovely. And some milestones may bring people together. And maybe, maybe those are new friendships, or maybe those are friendships that previously, you know, diverged, not for any necessarily bad reason, but diverge. And I can tell you that in this pandemic, being pregnant, I've found myself connecting to lots of pregnant friends who are not close to me in like geographic location. But because of technology, because of having similar milestones, we're more bonded now. You know, someone in Chicago, I'm in Florida, someone in Chicago right now, someone in Colorado right now, you know, so even that is is an example of that pretty much. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you're right. It, It does ebb and flow as our life changes. And I guess it brings me back to when I first adopted a vegan lifestyle uh, and eating a whole food plant-based diet. I knew nobody. And so I started looking for community and now I have the most amazing friendships and connections because of that life change that wouldn't have happened. So Mm. you're right. Some of it can just be internal philosophical changes, the way we view the world, different pursuits we want to, you know, pursue. So that's really cool. I love thinking about it that way. Yeah. Do you think Americans are too busy for friends? One of the stats (laughs) that I read was that like, I think 20% of millennials actually thought it wasn't important to have a friend. (laughs) So like, oh my gosh, (laughs) is it, are we too busy? Like what's going on? What a really disheartening statistic to hear. Oh my goodness. Um, I'd really like to think we are not too busy for friendships. I know that my view as a mental health professional who values individual, you know, awareness, but connection is very biased, but I got to tell you, friendships are so fruitful when we allow them to be that it's really hard for me to think that we're too busy for friendships. You know, we can value them if we value them to their capacity, right? Honor them for what they are and what they can give to us. Gosh, there's so much there. So it's really sad to think that, um, some people may think they're too busy or may not value a friendship. Yeah. Now, you know, 
with this, I think it's helpful to think about what it means to be busy. Um, and I'm sure even as people hear that, they're probably thinking about how busy they are. And, you know, they're probably listening to this and multitasking at the same time. See, I'm busy right now, even. And it's, again, very cultural for us Americans. So there's that aspect of it, too. But being busy means being occupied, right? So if we are occupied intentionally, then being busy doesn't have to work against our friendships, right? They can work for our well-being and for our connections too, right? Being busy doesn't mean like, I am busy at my work shift at this time, so I can't do these things. Being busy can mean I am choosing to do this with my time and I am protecting that time from other things. So I think it's a, a real mindset shift here. You know, like I think about, oh, I'm, I'm busy this morning because I'm taking my child to school. I'm busy right now because I'm getting in a workout. I'm busy because I'm spending time to connect to my partner. I'm busy running errands. I'm busy spending time catching up with my friends. You know, that's busy too, right? But there's that intentional, purposeful connection of valuing what we're doing for our well-being and how our social well-being is a part of that. So yeah, we can be too busy, but we can be busy and be well at the same time. It's about our intention setting. Yes. And I think there's personality differences there too, right? Because I, like you, am a type A planner person. So I was finding that if I didn't plan it, I I actually didn't have time to fit in. Sure. So my friends that were non-planners and they were like, last minute, hey, can we do this? And I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> so, so I started, you know, having some conversations with my friends, but also some of my more planner friends. We just planned a weekly date. Like I have one friend that we go for a walk every Thursday and I have another friend that we have a phone conversation every Saturday. And you're right. It is an intentional connection. Because, you know, some of us with careers and side gigs and kids and pets and all of this, calendars do get full, don't they? Of course. And I think you give such a great example of what we talked about earlier in the idea that we're all different. So if we know what's important for each of us in our friendships and what's important to other people, we risk getting like defensive or offended by yeah, it, right? So yeah. the friends of yours that, you know, maybe more of like the last minute, but like more spontaneous and impromptu folks about spending time together. It's not, they don't value me because they don't have me set as every 6 PM, you know, catching up. It's not that at all. And it's, I hear that you were able to flex to honor like, okay, they're just different. So how can we address this? Because we're just different in this way, but we clearly value one another's friendship. So how do we work through our differences to maintain the friendship? I mean, that's such a great example of that. Yeah. I feel so soothed. I feel like this is a therapy session for me. I I use all of my podcast episodes as therapy sessions. So, Well, we started talking a little bit about social media, but what other ways has social media impacted friendships? Yeah. So the literature that currently exists for this is fascinating because it does do a good job of covering the good and the bad. And I will start out by highlighting the key component that I've noticed from this is that 
it's about how you use it more than anything else. So that again goes back to the intentionality standpoint. And of course that's important to me as a mental health professional, but that's something that's consistent throughout life, right? Intentionality in social media use, intentionality in relationships, what have you, right? So let's talk about the good. And I gave an example of this a little bit um, ago with my personal experience with friendships, but the good is that we can make connections that are beyond our geographic vicinity, right? So that opens up a lot. And I mean, goodness, it's not just the state over. It can be a country across the globe if we want it to be. So when we think about that, wow, what opportunity there, you know? So it opens up opportunities for connections that we may not have previously had. You can make friends in ways, not just in the spatial aspect of things, but interests that you may not have had before, right? So I think of someone who's in more of a rural area, who's really fascinated in this one thing, and maybe there are not any classes or workshops or teams or clubs around that, but it exists a lot, maybe in a city center or maybe across the globe, right? There might be some sort of page or group dedicated to that, that you can feel a sense of connection for what you're interested in that you may not have had without technology and social media, right? Um, Something that I'm seeing, especially now in our time, is connection to resources. So we're talking about friendships on just a general scale, but there's also like specific supportive friendships, like support groups. And there's so many virtual support groups now. So I think about in this time in particular, that people need support because we're socially distanced. And in generations past, we may not have been able to get that semblance of connection. And now we can by joining a virtual sport group, or and that could be new friends, right? New connections, new acquaintances, or reconnecting and rekindling bonds that are further from us because we need those connections in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting. There's some research that shows that folks who may have struggled to make in-person connections can actually flourish in more of a behind the screen type bond. So Mm. those are some examples of the good things, right? And then of course there's the bad. And I know you even alluded to this before, like a lot of us make this like they, like this other and like what people are doing. The immersion in other people's lives, sometimes that can be helpful to know, okay, this is what Joe's doing over there in California. This is what John's doing up there in New York. And it's nice, but then a lot of times this goes a step further and we may forget that social media is kind of designed to be this highlight reel right Mm -hmm. so most folks are posting the good things and we are comparing our lives you know the ebbs and flows of that to what we're seeing from this person's life so that's where the comparison aspect um comes through also, there's like this phony connection. So the, the feeling of needing to update others, but it not being, not feeling like intentional or genuine for others too. That's like in a status or a tweet, for example. Then there's, of course, the whole concept of FOMO, of everybody's doing this and I can't do this. So it causes a sense of disconnection. And especially when it comes to friendships, if you see a group of your friends all doing something together and you are not included or you're just not there, it can make you feel like the outsider. And that's more of a perception than what you may actually be in that way. And then there's also just the other negative aspects of social media that then pervade into friendships. So 
we might be spending so much of our time, you know, logged onto any of our apps that we're not making genuine connections. Otherwise, we may get caught up with doom scrolling. We may be stressed with, did I update this person? Oh, I'm behind on, you know, reaching out to this person in this way. And then there's more negative components that come with that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so good because you're right. I mean, I, in my mind, I automatically have this belief that no matter what I'm interested in or what topic I'm into, I could probably find a group of people that yeah. likes that same thing. You know, like I know that they exist because yeah. the entire world is at my fingertips. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so cool. But and think of, about how key that could be for a young, you know, like a teen, right? Yeah. If you're trying to find yourself, but you just realize like nobody around, like my family doesn't like this. My friends don't like this. You know, my neighbors don't like this. And you're like, whoa, everybody likes this one thing here, you know, so you can find a sense of connection if you you're able to. Yeah. Well, speaking of teenagers, everything that you were talking about too, like the comparison and the FOMO. It makes me feel like a teenager, but sometimes I get that too. You know, I'm looking like, oh, I'm the only one that didn't get to do that one thing, you know, (laughs) but I think it's important to also, like you're saying, realize that this is something that happens to like everybody, whenever they get on social media, it's like your brain, your psychology, it becomes your consciousness. It becomes your reality. Like your brain thinks everybody's doing it. You're the only one not doing it, you know, but it's not true, right? It's not true. So I think once we start having some of those feelings, maybe some of those negative effects of social media, it's important to be aware, maybe pull back and be more intentional. Like you said, let's use the social media for the, for the positive things, for ways that it can help us get connected to others. And when we're seeing some of those negative, negative effects, being aware of it and maybe drawing back and being more conscious about it. I think those are all really important. Yeah. Is there any data or studies on mode of communication? Because, you know, I, I'm generation X, (laughs) so I did not grow up with the internet and texting. Uh Like there was no texting. Like I didn't text until like way old, like probably didn't really start texting until I was like maybe late twenties, early thirties. And now kids know how to do that from the beginning. So I'm more comfortable with in-person and phone calls and things like that. But the younger generation are not very comfortable with calling. Like it freaks them out. (laughs) So does that impact friendships and relationships? Does mode of communication impact any of that? So great question. I'm glad that you're looking at some of these generational differences because that's a key aspect in exploring this. Now, I haven't seen any data about this, but I've heard it a lot. Um, So I've heard of that. And, you know, for anyone listening, it might be helpful to know you've cited a lot of millennial statistics. I myself am a millennial. So (laughs) I hear some of these, I hear some of these heartbreaking statistics and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm an anomaly. Anomalies exist. I want to, I don't know who they're they're asking these questions to. Um, But coming back to that, you know, using my example as being a millennial, I'm comfortable with across the board. And I've noticed this. It's been a fascinating thing from my personal standpoint. Like there's some people that I just feel better to call. Like a phone call just works better. There's some people I'm like, this is a video chat person. I'm going to either FaceTime them or we're going to set up like a Zoom thing. That's them. And there's other people who are like, that's, we're going to text. Or I'm going to just see you in person. We'll just see you when I see you. (laughs) 
Um, and I noticed that that is another rendition of what we've been talking about and coming back to throughout our time together is just the differences in people. Mm -hmm. So I think it's helpful for you to know, first of all, what's the mode of communication that you find most comfortable and not just for communicating in general, right? Like, so for maybe for work, you prefer emails, but is that how you prefer to talk to your friends? So specifically looking at that as like for your friendships, if you're planning a get together or if you're going through something difficult, what's the mode of communication that's going to make that friendship feel more connected and worthwhile for you? Mm -hmm. Then there's the other side, right? Like what about the other person though? <laughs> because if it's, I keep calling this person because I'm trying to connect and they screen my calls every time I'm going to voicemail to voicemail to voicemail. And then they just send me a text. What's, what's going on with that? They may not think anything of it, but you might feel disheartened by, wow, you really don't want to connect me. You don't want to hear me, but that's just a miscommunication in what we value, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's helpful to just first of all, think about what do you value with mode of communication? What are your best choices in friendships? What about your friendships? What about your loved ones? How do we connect and kind of bridge the gap there? Oh yeah, that's beautiful. And there's like a million modes of communication that maybe like, uh, that's also one of those things that's also good and also bad. <laughs> it's like so awesome. We have like so many different ways we can, can communicate, yeah. but then at the same time, you know, it does make for a lot of individualization. Sure. Okay. So this is probably way too broad of a question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. What are the typical problems that friends face? Because, you know, it's great to have friendships, but like you said before, they can also bring with them some negative aspects. So what mm -hmm. are those things? You know, we've talked about a lot of the typical ones and I'm glad that you recognize that it is broad because there may be something I don't say here and someone's like, but this is what I keep experiencing. And mm -hmm. that's valid. If that's what you keep experiencing, then that's a typical problem for you. And it's important for you to address that. But common ones are just changes in identity causing a change in the friendship. And that change can be twofold, right? So like, we like this type of music and we bond over this. And now I've changed my type of music that I like. And this person changes their type of music that they like. And now we're in two different vicinities. Now, I'm not saying that the friendship is only established on the basis of music in that example, but you could see how there is a divergence there and lots of diverging points can cause a fray in a friendship, right? So just general changes. Then there's growing apart. That's kind of like taking those changes and continuing to pull them apart, right? Um, you know, best friends in high school going off to two different universities in two different states, following two different career paths. And like at first it's able to maintain, but the more the lifestyles really change in that way, there isn't a lot of continuity of what previously held the relationship together. Typical problems also include when there is a problem in the friendship, regardless of what it is, and people don't handle it effectively. Mm -hmm. A big part of that is communication. And while we're talking about friendships, usually we apply the term ghosting to more of like dating relationships, but it can happen in friendships too, of people just abandoning their connections because they may not have the confidence or the tools or the willingness or the depth to go over that hurdle, 
But it's important to recognize that lots of friendships that go through those hurdles and the individuals who work together to overcome them, there's more of like a friendship resilience. So that could be a typical problem, but it can be a a game too at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, those are all super important. I remember, so I'm a psychology major. I'm not Mm -hmm. as advanced as you are in your profession, but I remember one of my professors in college saying that friendships and especially friend breakups can be just or more intense than romantic relationships as far as like the emotion, you know, like the drama, the heartache, the pain. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's one of the articles you sent me maybe that you wrote or somebody else wrote about how that friendship resilience is so important because when we're married to somebody, you know, we have this like pact, we're going to stick it through, Mm -hmm. you know, thick or thin, hard Mm -hmm. times. But when we have friendships, we don't necessarily have that pact. And so it can be a little easier to just be like, okay, well, she's really getting on my nerves now. So bye, you know, you just ghost them. And, but if you stick it through and go through some of those issues that both are willing to do that, then it actually can make your friendship stronger and more Mm -hmm. resilient. So that's a really interesting way to look at that. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Yeah. And I think that's important to validate, you know, the, the friendship breakup concept, because I think, you know, going back to what we started talking about of why do we overlook friendships? If we're overlooking how impactful friendships can be on our mental health, then when a friendship ends, we might be undermining how much of an impact that can have on our well-being too. And that can be a lot, right? If someone goes through a divorce, of course, you know, we understand 
you take time off work, you're not going to be well for a while, that's okay. And I'm not saying that every friendship is akin to a marriage, but think about it. Some people have friendships that are have long lasted before their marriage, you know, predated their marriage, lasted through their marriage. And some people get divorced and then still have some of their friendships, right? Mm -hmm. So friendships can have that powerful impact on us too. And I think that we can do ourselves a service by first of all, realizing how impactful friendships are, that there isn't this like big gap between when a friendship starts to fall apart and we are kind of perturbed by it. Well, of course, it's because it's important to us that it's causing us stress, that there's stress in the relationship. Yeah. And that was kind of my next question is mm-hmm. normalizing changes in friendship, friend status, or even friend breakups. Like, is that pretty common? I, I don't think we ever talk about that, that sometimes we do part ways. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, how often does that happen? And it, is it important to talk about it? Or is it important to talk more about, well, if you are having problems with your friend, maybe address communication? Sure, sure. So a lot of this goes back to the person's own communication style and how they view and value and invest in relationships to begin with. So friendships are just one conduit of those. So you can see that it's usually consistent for the person of how they handle breakups and friendship breakups, right? And I think we're starting to talk a little bit more about the value of friendship and friendship breakups as a society. Mm -hmm. It's still so muted compared to, again, more of romantic relationships or familial attachments, but I think we're getting there, which is exciting, which is why I love having this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is normal. And I think that we could all benefit from addressing the things when they are smaller hurdles versus, you know, the whole sweep under the rug, keep sweeping, keep sweeping, keep sweeping. Now there's a mountain under the rug. Um, That's when that can feel really defeating to like, how are we going to triumph over this, you know, mountain with this in that way? And that's, that's true. So addressing it proactively um, doesn't have to be from a conflict or a miscommunication, right? It's like, you know, I really value our friendship. I, I realize that, you know, we're struggling to find time for one another. That's like, it's not even, it's, you know, it's a unified thing. We are struggling. The issue there is time, right? So just addressing it proactively can be really helpful. Now, this is very different, though, from when a relationship becomes like toxic, yeah. unhealthy, or, you know, heavens forbid, abusive in any way. That's important for you to know your personal boundaries and know if it's stepped too far, then maybe, maybe you want to talk to that person about that, but maybe it's just not worth your well being, too. So it's okay to set a firm boundary. Communicate that, but it's okay to set a, few, a firm boundary and many times really important. Um, I would always err on the side of setting a firm boundary than just like totally abandoning someone and kind of leaving that question mark in that way. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about how we were talking about the notion that lives change, people ebb and flow. We even change as people. I don't know who the heck I was 10 years ago. I'm really curious about who I'll be 10 years from now. You know, like yeah. there are some consistent components, but also we just change, right? Yeah. It's important to recognize that a friendship can come back together over yeah. time too. So we don't tend to do well with like finality. Like this relationship is over, like close the door, it's done. And I don't think we need to all the time with friendship. Just like, okay, we've grown apart. Let's leave that as it is. 
maybe we'll come back together when, if life allows, and maybe we won't, and that's okay too. But I think we struggle with ends, you know, the idea, especially a a healthy end is hard for many folks. Mm -hmm. If this was a good friendship, why would I want to end it? Um, So instead of putting like a final like kibosh on it of this friendship is done, it's this is just not for me right now. Um, Maybe that's the phase of life or just different interests, but it doesn't mean it needs to be over forever. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And yeah. And one of the ways that I started looking at it as an adult is that there's some people that were just not a great match right Mm -hmm. now and Mm -hmm. maybe it'll change. But then we all have those friends that even though we don't talk often, when we do talk, it's like we haven't been apart for years, you know, like, you know, there's friends that even though we're not not doing stuff all the time, you just know in your heart and soul that they're going to be your friend for a long Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Let me bring up a little bit of a heavier topic here, because this is one of the reasons I wanted to do a relationship series is because we've had a lot of stress, not just the pandemic, but politics, Mm -hmm. mask wearing, Mm -hmm. you know, conspiracy theories, you know, like black lives matter. There has been so much divisiveness in our country. And what I'm seeing for myself personally and for other people that I know, that it is starting to put a wedge in between family members, friendships, you know, Mm -hmm. so walk us through, how do we address these things? You know, earlier you were talking about philosophical changes, internal changes. Some of these changes in our society has led to some people going deeper within themselves and Mm -hmm. feeling like there are some issues that they're very passionate about where maybe it wasn't discussed previously. And now it comes up and you have two friends are like, oh my gosh, we have complete opposite beliefs in this area. So how do we address those sorts of things? Yeah, I think even first, it's important to allow yourself the space that you can acknowledge these things as they come up. I think you're so right. That list could even go on if we wanted to, just the last year-ish of all the things that have been put on a lot of our plates, um, which unifies us in that way. Um, But I I see these, each of these issues as kind of like big magnets that like now we put on the ground and we pull up with it a bunch of stuff attached to it. And I love that you pointed out that like, Maybe we didn't address that. Maybe it just didn't occur to come up in a relationship before. You may think, this is my friend. We're, you know, this is just a genuinely good person and we are like-minded and that's that. But then there, you know, the past year has given us a lot to kind of rethink about who we are, how the world functions, who we are in the world. What does that mean for the people in our lives? And it's really shaken us all up. And I think that's okay. And I think that's actually good. Um, There's opportunities to learn from this. So even just recognizing beyond that, so first is making the step for it, making the space for it, pardon me. And then the second step for that is, you know, addressing what these key differences are is, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, this person's beliefs may actually go against who I am as a person. I mean, Mm -hmm. quite literally, right? So we think about a lot of examples I heard this year with, you know, Black Lives Matter or last year rather, and Black Lives Matter and pandemic, all of that is just learning about people's beliefs in a different way that you just didn't realize before 
So it's important to recognize, like, we don't need to do some time traveling into the past and like, oh, how did I miss this? You know, like, this was a lot. Let's just work on the present now. So what does this mean for your bond? Now, again, kind of going back to what we talked about in the last question, you need to decide of, do you want to address that? And if you do, how can you do it as proactive as possible, as more unified as possible? And also, could it be such a level of like, putrid, you know, negativity that it's like, I don't even want to address, like, it's not that I don't want to address it. It's just, it's not even worth my time or energy. Like this person said this, and that goes against who I am. And I just can't, I can't even fathom having a deep bond with them. Then that's okay too. Right. So then internalizing it for yourself and deciding like, do I address it with this person? Um, knowing again, People are different, right? Mm -hmm. We value different components of a friendship. But I think what's come up in this year, you know, within the last calendar year, more than ever before, are like key components of who we are, though, may be reflected in topics we may not have previously addressed to this depth. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of folks are understandably surprised and kind of taken aback and taken aguard. But like I mentioned, there is an opportunity to have these difficult conversations and become more resilient in your friendship. And yes, I recognize that there's the danger of, wow, this was a really great friend. I had no idea that, you know, we could get this divided. I would have never thought it, but here we are. And that's okay too. Just means that that's not serving you anymore. Yeah. Uh, It's so interesting though, isn't it? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. we're all essentially the same people, you know? It, yeah. it, it, but I love that visual you gave of like, we all got shaken up. Cause that's how it feels yeah. like. I feel like everything's yeah. being rearranged. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> so, so interesting. Well, thank you for walking us through that. Yeah. Dr. Ali, this has been so, so helpful. I, I love your style. I just love how soothing you are. And I can tell that you've helped a lot of people with their friendship struggles, because I'm sure it comes up a lot in therapy (laughs) sessions. I know it has in my therapy sessions. Thank you to my therapist. So thank you so much for walking us through that. What do you wish more people knew about friendships? They are powerful. They really are as simple as that. They have the power to influence us for good. They have the power to really weigh us down if we're not paying attention to fostering a healthy bond, but they are powerful. I wish that everyone would acknowledge this. You know, most people do not minimize the importance of how caregivers have a role in their children's lives or teachers have a role in their students' lives or partners have a role in one another's lives, but friendships get the short end of the stick. And I am not sure why, because like I mentioned, they start early in life last can last us through life. They're important as children. They're important as adults. They can help us at every phase of life and sometimes through multiple phases of life. So it's a little perplexing to me how we undermine friendships all the time. So I think the key is to recognize that friendships are powerful. Oh, I love it. And obviously our listeners they're on board too, because they either want to learn more about friendships, how to make, Mm. how to sustain them. So hopefully Mm. they get that message. Where can my listeners connect with you? 
So if you want to connect with me on social, the main platform that I'm on is on Instagram. So you can find me there at Dr. Shana. If you want to reach out and learn more, you can also look, uh, look to my website, drshana.com. And you mentioned this earlier, I have written on this topic on my blog, A Modern Mentality, which was hosted by Psychology Today. So those may be three different methods. Find whatever works for you. Beautiful. And yes, you have great material that just from reading those, I had so much insight. It was awesome. Well, leave us with one call to action, something that we can start doing today to improve our friendships. Yeah, this might be obvious to someone who's listening because they've heard me repeat it so much. And I hope it's obvious because then gold star for you, if it's already obvious for you, is to start by reflecting on your personal components of what is important for you in a healthy friendship. Yes. Of course, you can build from there. Um, but that is a great place for us to start. And it's so empowering and strength space to realize what's important for us. And I wouldn't be surprised if some folks who are listening spend some time doing a little bit of that reflection and are pleasantly surprised to, you know, the quality of the friendships that they may have been overlooking because they hadn't previously taken the time to do that reflection. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, because it takes two, right? And like you said, from the very beginning, it's two individuals coming together. So when we get clear on what's important to us, I think it's more likely that we're going to foster these healthy relationships and go with them through the ebbs and flows. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Ali. Happy Relationship Month. I'm just going <laughs> to rename February as Relationship <laughs> Month. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for letting me talk on this topic. I'm really passionate about how friendships can influence our overall wellness. So I loved getting to chat with you today. Beautiful. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.